Welcome to the No Chance Radio Show, a podcast about the world of streetwear, fashion, and everything and anything else. What up, podcast listeners? Welcome back to the NCR show. That's No Chance Radio. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm your co-host, Mel. If you're a new listener, a binge listener, or even a you know casual listener from time to time, we welcome you to our streetwear safe space. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> kind of funny when I say that. Uh, where we cover relevant topics in the streetwear and fashion industry and come to those conclusions. Oftentimes, I want to say they may or may not be actually credible. Um, but we try to do our best to predict what's to come in this world, <laughs> this crazy fucking world that we live in. Um, welcome you guys to the show. Episode 97. Woo, we're almost to Holy 100. Holy shit. Bobby, if you're listening, we're approaching 97. We're getting closer and closer. Um, we'll expect your email sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be, uh... Attention, no chance radio. Uh, I want to be on your podcast. That's that's exactly <laughs> what we're expecting from you, Bobby. So um, go ahead and have one of your admins send that through. Hello at nochancemedia.com. <laughs> All right. Some logistics before we get into this week's episode. Um, we do have a show this, not this Friday, next Friday. Uh, next Saturday. Oh, shit. It's Saturday, Next isn't it? Saturday, August 24. Sorry, we're used to our, our, our typical rotation of uh, fourth Fridays of the month. But yes, um, August 24th, the payout returns at 111 Minute Gallery. For those of you that are in the Bay Area, San Francisco, please come out and support. This is one of our highlight events of the year, uh, a mm-hmm. huge accolade for those. I mean, if you're listening within the Bay Area, you know how much this venue means to to partygoers all over the, the Bay Area. So this is a big one for us. We got a lot of big names. I don't even have to shout them out. The names sort of speak for themselves. <laughs> so please go get tickets at payout.eventbrite.com. We have the ticket links in both of our bios, yes. me and Mel, and the No Chance Radio page. So please go out and support. Uh, we'll see you there. We'll also have, ooh, man, should I tell them about our secret release? Mm, I'll nah, hint at it. Uh, I'll hint at it. Eh. You know what? Fuck it. You guys will find out. <laughs> <laughs> Just buy a ticket and you'll understand. Buy a ticket. Um, we do have some some special things um, that we will be teasing this weekend. I feel listening to this on a Friday. Uh, so stay tuned. Really cool stuff. Something that we've been wanting to do for a while and something I know that a lot of you as listeners been wanting. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves memorabilia. Everybody loves, <clears throat> dare I say, merch. Um <laughs> But I'll leave it at that for you guys. All right, let's get into this week's episode. Um, we both just got back from Los Angeles, separate trips. I actually didn't yeah. know that Mel was going to be in Los Angeles until I saw a lot of the shit that you were posting. <laughs> um, yeah. But I went to Los Angeles uh, for not for business, but for for personal. Uh, I was taking my girlfriend out for her birthday, and um, this was all the way in Palm Springs. This is like southern, 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 eastern. California and it was a long ass drive and this is the thing about driving stick shift is that unless you bring people that also know how to drive a manual car you are screwed for road (laughs) trips and uh well one of the benefits for also driving a manual car is that no one's really ever going to steal your car unless they know how to drive stick also this is true Uh, so that's a huge deterrent um but yeah so essentially it's eight hours there Eight hours back, going to try to do it all within um, a day and a half, maybe about two days total. 
as a quick trip. So I'm exhausted. I've been exhausted all week and that shit sucked. But um, anything for the for, for the love of my life, right? So, <laughs> uh, but I do want to talk about LA real quick because there's something about that culture. And I, I know just as being from the Bay Area, it's always that gripe between like San, no, I was going to say San Franciscans, uh, but Bay Area people and people that are from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that has always been my biggest gripe about Los Angeles has been the food. Now, whenever I go to L.A., everyone's like, oh, like not L.A. people, but people from the Bay Area are like, oh, we got to go to this food spot. We got to go to this food spot. This one has this like churro that does this like <laughs> rainbow loop and then comes back in your ice cream. There's this like really good like fried chicken sandwich place, like a chicken tender spot that has lines out the door, like shit like that. Almost. Oftentimes I call them gimmicky foods, Mm -hmm. Uh, foods that aren't really as tasteful as you would actually want in your food. It's more so like picture worthy type food. Um, That's what a majority of Los Angeles food is, in my honest opinion. Now, this also (laughs) this also is based solely off the fact that I don't ever reach beyond three money signs on Yelp. So that may (laughs) actually play a big difference into the types of food that I'm eating down there. But something about LA food is that, like I said, it's so fucking gimmicky that it becomes annoying. And even if you want to try it to disprove the fact that this is gimmicky food and it's no good, there's lines for everything. Yeah. Everything that's ever popular in Los Angeles has a line. If you're not experiencing a line at that location, Chances are it's either just not that good or not a lot of people know about it. And you, it, it, it's just so it's so tedious because when it comes to food, especially for the, the types of food that people will tell you to go to, uh, a good example would be I went to this place called Howlin' Ray's. Well, I didn't even go. I, I visited. <laughs> I saw the <laughs> you front. Stopped by. I, saw, I saw the front window of Howlin' Ray's. This is a... Uh, a fried chicken sandwich place um, based, I think it's from somewhere in the, in the, in the South or maybe like Midwest. I'm not sure exactly on where it originates from, but it's a a duo. Actually, it's one dude opened up a chicken spot in, I think it's kind of in downtown LA area uh, for the most part. And I go there, I'm like, Oh my God, I haven't eaten in all day. I'm so hungry. I don't want to go to In-N-Out. I don't want to go to any of these typical restaurants that I have back at home. You go to something that's sort of specialized to uh, Los Angeles. So I go there and there's, and um, as I'm walking, I parked like maybe two blocks down and I'm walking to the location and that's when I decided to pick up my phone and look at Yelp and be like, okay, like, you know, what, what's, what's, what's good here. I want to know what I want. So like right when I place the order, the food's kind of given to me. Mm-hmm. I like doing, I like being prepared. I don't, I don't really like being surprised by menus. I like being prepared beforehand. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at my phone and, um, I'm not even paying attention. My girlfriend's just kind of leading the way. So I'm like walking, looking at my phone and then I just bump into something. Right. And I bumped into this dude and, uh, I'm like, Oh my bad, man. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. He, um, are you here for 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 the for Holland Rays? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, did you just get some? Like, how was it? He's like, nah, man, I'm, I'm in line. I'm, I've been waiting for like 30 minutes so far. And the line's like halfway wrapped around the damn building. And I'm yeah. like, oh, my 
God, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Have you ever tried that place? I had raising canes and it's like the same. That's the like chicken tenders, long. right? Yeah, but that line like for drive through is fat. And it's strictly chicken tenders. Like they what have is tenders and like a chicken sandwich and for I didn't like it. There was no flavor for me. Oh, and that's the thing yeah. about this food is like it's very hyped up. It's word of mouth, obviously. Instagram, especially social media. Um, but none of this shit is actually that good. Like the only thing that is worth going to LA for in terms of food is Korean barbecue. And that's yes. because the price is less inflated than that of uh, the Bay Area. And also there's Koreatown, so that makes a huge difference. But there's no like a southern barbecue town or like you know what I mean? Like that <laughs> yeah. specializes in this type of food for it to be any good. Yeah. Um but how is LA for you? I mean, you kind of like went all over the place. So I don't know if you experienced the fucking like what felt like foot traffic everywhere. But how was LA for you? Um, this time around, I had an Airbnb in North Hollywood. I've never really Fancy. stayed like around Hollywood area. So um, when we would drive around, I think we were around the block from the BuzzFeed corporate office. Oh, which was, it was really cool to see like the front. I'm like, oh, it's BuzzFeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it in YouTube videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, of course, it's like there's hella traffic. There's hella tourists everywhere. Um, I don't really like Hollywood. Like if you compare it to Pier 39 in um, SF, I prefer that than Hollywood just because it's not as hot and like <laughs> the sidewalks are sure. wider and it's not as dirty. Like for me, when I go to L.A., like I don't like it sometimes because it's just I feel dirty all the time. Yeah. And I don't feel safe. <laughs> really? Yeah. I feel safer in SF, maybe because I grew up here. So I understand how people work, like how their brains work in SF. Whereas LA people, like they're different. I don't know. I think it's the type of crackheads. <laughs> the type I of think, crack they're I, using. I think there's a, 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 a real distinction between... Um, I'm not okay. This is there's a distinction first. I'm gonna make this distinction between homeless and crackheads. Okay, mm -hmm. so now I'm making this distinction between crackheads and meth heads, or maybe crazy crackheads. <laughs> I don't know what the the next echelon of crackheads are, but for some reason, the ones in L.A. from the stories that you tell me are like like literally rabid zombies, and they will chase you they are fighting imaginary ghosts in the middle <laughs> of the street shit like that but the ones out here they're just kind of like mellow yeah you know what i mean they kind of mind their own business here whereas la they're just all over the place maybe it's just the the temper the temperament of people in the bay area in general it like like rolls over onto the crackheads <laughs> here so they're like a lot more chill a lot more like like just hanging out in the group but then in LA all the crackheads are just like just trying to do everything like they're trying to like make a name for themselves or something like yeah. that's just the vibe that I'm getting for the for the ones out there um, but let's stir away from that um, have you ever seen like like what is like the most prominent food spot that you know of in Los Angeles that's like like all the celebrities go there, all the all, all the influencers are always tagging it. Like, do you ever notice any of those when you when you go out there, or do you like aim to go to those types of places? Um, well, there's there's Earth Cafe. I always see like That's Kylie and them go yep. there. Um, it's funny because Nat, she was like, "Oh, like I feel like I'm not going to LA if we haven't had Earth Cafe." <laughs> and I'm like, "I don't want to get salad and pay twenty bucks for it." Did you go? No. Oh shit. I don't well, there wanna, you go. I don't want to go. Like I just see it everywhere, and like for some reason when I see it, it doesn't seem appetizing to me. Mm. But there's other places like um, 
after is ice cream. Everyone goes there. Yep. I've tried it before. It's actually pretty good. Um, my favorite ramen place is actually in LA, Slurpin Ramen Bar. That's a good one. That's my favorite ramen. I hear ramen. a lot of good places, so uh, a lot of good things about that yeah, place. I think that's the most worth it for me when I go down there is to get ramen, but it's always hot. So it's kind of like, it sucks when I go because I don't want to sweat while I'm eating, but this is true. it's good ass ramen. This is true. That's something you get around like 10 o'clock at night or something yeah. or like a nightcap. There's yeah. something about food places as of lately that have seemed to grasp the headlines of a lot of like cultural editorial sites. For some reason, I'm seeing these, I wouldn't even call them one of a kind, but essentially these, these, these standalone food uh, eateries, like you said, Earth Cafe. Another notable one in Los Angeles is Uncle Polly's. That's a like a uh, uh, like a deli mm-hmm. fish sandwich type place. And there's also oh, there's Fat uh, Sal's too. Fat Sal's, and now this name that I've been seeing all over the place, John and Vinny's, have been literally every influencer's favorite Italian restaurant in the world. Mm-hmm. Literally to the point where they have to make like it's it's so crazy to get a reservation there that it's like almost like a month out almost and that's just to to have like a large party or some shit like mm-hmm. that um but i'm 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 so sure that a lot of you that are listening this is not the first time you've ever heard of these names these food places because for example an uncle Polly's is made super famously by the fact that travis scott decided to wear their random merchandise <laughs> one day and he was rocking that hat for like at least a month. Like he was wearing it with everything. So every time you saw the the leaked image of the new Travis Scott Jordans, he's wearing the Uncle Paulie's hat. And it's it's so crazy to, to think that food and streetwear at this point uh, is now becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because the way, I, the way that I look at it, a lot of these food places in terms of like maybe the cafe... Um, maybe the coffee shop, things of that nature. They were like places that we used to go to, to like meet up Mm -hmm. and like collaborate on some shit. Right. I mean, as high schoolers, as, um, early college graduates, whatever we, that's where you get the free fucking Wi-Fi. Yeah. The Starbucks for 24 hours or whatever, that's where you go. And that's where you come up with your first brand, your first design. That's where you learn how to use a design, um, programs and shit like that. But for some reason, this fascination with food is, it's fascinating. (laughs) And I don't mean to double my words up, but it's that fascinating to think that, you know, whether it's a collaboration of some sort or just like the, the, the hype beats and high snobities general interest within these eateries nowadays. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is? What do you think? What do you think the fascination with food in this world of uh, of streetwear and fashion, what's the fascination with it today? I think social media plays a big part of it too, just because you see all of these eateries kind of make it big because one of their photos goes viral everywhere. Yeah. That's kind of how like streetwear, it like that's just how it is. It spreads like wildfire, kind of yeah. like hype. There's hype restaurants. And when that hype dies down, then people stop going and it goes out of business. This is true. So, this is true. But does the food necessarily have to be good? Yeah, I I would think so. Cause I'm not gonna stand in a line and pay twenty bucks for something that sucks. That makes me not want to go. Like, okay, I think just because 
we also have gimmicky food in the Bay Area now too. I'm just kind of so used to seeing it now where if I see something super gimmicky, it makes me not want to try it because I know there's going to be a line, yeah. it's going to be expensive and it's not even going to taste good. Yeah. Like all these night, mar- night markets and stuff, like the lines are so fat, but I don't want to pay because I know it's not going to be good food. Yeah. So yeah. it has to taste good. What I think I've come to realize is that, I mean, in just the realization just sort of came on like a light switch just now as you're talking is that the obsession with food comes with lifestyle, right? You think about someone like a Travis Scott or um, if any of you have ever been to Chacha Matcha, that's like a popular matcha drink place in Los Angeles, most notably in New York. They have one in Los Angeles, right? But most Mm -hmm. notably in New York, uh, Virgil is a constant um, uh, buyer or consumer for that shop as well. The reason why we start to see a lot of these places blow up or you see your favorite uh, celebrity wearing their merchandise is because it's it revolves around their lifestyle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The cool person is going to go where other cool people are. And in some way, shape or form, if you're around other cool people, they're going to put you on to new cool things. Um, That's like one of those equations. Like it's like that 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 meme where she's looking at all the equations like that's kind (laughs) of like what is it uh, sort of sums up to be. But it, it makes sense. Right. Like the whole idea of influencing it reaches beyond just what your clothes are. Mm-hmm. It's your your all around lifestyle, right? Yeah. Between me and you, if we had a friend that say listen to someone like Miles Davis or I don't know, was really into like cyberpunk, we would think that they were really cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just because it was completely different from what we're traditionally into. Yeah. And almost to the sense where we think of it as like outlandish. Like those that are outlandish are typically the ones that most people would consider to be cool mm-hmm. in, in terms of like being like rebellious or uh, just being um, the black sheep of, of the pack. And there's something about how food tends to that same mentality of just saying like, Hey, like, okay, there's this whole wave of people just hanging out at cafes and drinking coffee and, and now you're drinking the cold brew and all this other <laughs> shit. Stop fucking with that. Let's go drink something healthier. Let's try this matcha place that I just found out. And, and before we get into that, some educational facts about matcha. Matcha is actually does contain pieces or essentially the same wiring of that of caffeine and uh, coffee beans also. I mean, that's the whole point that it is offered as a different, uh, as another option when it Mm -hmm. comes to buying coffee. Most notably, a majority of coffee places will offer a matcha. Matcha lattes are amazing. Yes. And it's like, doesn't have, I wouldn't say the negative side effects of coffee, but it is a different uh, approach of, of intake of caffeine and shit like that. Um, But yeah, like a, like a a cha-cha matcha, like I would have never known about that place if, my homies who are in the streetwear didn't know that Virgil went there. You know what I mean? (laughs) And Virgil goes there so much in New York that they decided to even do a collaboration with him for him to to, uh, design merch for that place. And he even offered up to design merch because for one, imagine like a a really famous apparel designer going into your store where your merch is shit printed on a terrible (laughs) t-shirt. And you're just like, Hey guys, like I love your place so much. I just got to say it like, I need to redesign your <laughs> shit. That's 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 an honor. Yeah. But it's also really cool to think that these places aren't just cool to be cool. You know what I mean? It's 
it's a part of their 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 day-to-day lifestyle where do they find inspiration probably the place with the, the really cool natural lighting and the cool music that they're playing they just happen to serve something that's relatively consumable you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean is that so, somewhat specific to you also like do you find yourself investing in the places that give you inspiration especially when it comes to food a lot of people find inspiration in food you know we have our favorite food spots um but does go in there in any way incite like something in you that makes you want to go back like what does that do for you when you go to some of your like favorite food spots um the atmosphere for sure plays a big oh, role that's in huge, it yeah if it's like hella crowded or not crowded like and how the services and stuff um it doesn't have to be super aesthetic when I go to somewhere. As long as the food is good, it makes me want to come back. Mm. And I kind of like um, places where they're kind of older. They're like hole in the walls because yeah, yeah, you yeah. know the food's going to be better because true. it's more authentic, in my opinion. That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> Some of my favorite places, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not too big of a stickler on food. I'll eat anything, but I'm a big beer person. So the environment that I drink beer in plays a huge role into whether or not I go in there. I don't really like the divey bars. I want mm-hmm. something that's a little bit more modern, a little bit with like a lot of natural light. Dive bars don't have natural light. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're meant to be divey for that particular reason. But but yeah, I mean, I, I get why these food places are becoming so popular. Obviously, um, with the likes of somewhere like Uncle Polly's with Travis Scott wearing the merchandise, I've never tried their sandwiches, but I'm intrigued just because I saw Travis Scott wearing the hat. It's almost like a cosign. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a there's a big cosign. And even when you think about, you know, rappers back in the day when they would rap, or rap about the famous restaurants or even the famous champagne uh, that they would drink or even the clubs, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of the clubs that we know of are made popular because rappers are constantly free, uh, frequenting them. Um, but this is the really cool thing about that. And and it, it's so funny how this coincides with our trips to Los Angeles and dealing with the shitty food and the shitty traffic and all that other stuff. But the hundreds actually are putting on a, a food festival, a food and streetwear-esque food festival called Family Style mm-hmm. uh, taking place in September 15th. Um, so a month from now, essentially. But they're basically partnering the, the streetwear world and some of the LA's uh, scenes best food, whether it's food trucks or um, restaurants. I know I see a couple of uh, famous ones in here. The John and Vinny's, obviously. Um, the Howlin' Rays is in there. Um, Love Hour, which is like a really cool one that's come out recently. Um, Chacha Macha is here too. And also, they have all the all of your favorite, you know, LA streetwear as well as streetwear people in general. They have the the Verdi, obviously. Shout out to Verdi. They have the bricks and woods, the carrots, um, shit, and and all your favorite LA. Oh, they got the Sean Weatherspoon and Joshua Videsa also. So it is that sort of mixing style and uh, what they call uh, uh, I think it's called gastro something. What's the correct term uh, for that in terms of uh, like overall food? I think what is, what's the term is they constantly ga- use? Gastropub? Ga- gastronomy. <laughs> <laughs> Combining the worlds of streetwear and gastronomy. Um, this is awesome. I've never seen anything like it. Obviously, yeah. the hundreds is always on the the uh, the cutting edge of, of everything that they do. But what can we expect from these two worlds colliding? Do we expect something amazing to come out of it? Do we expect, um, you know, in the near future, 
you know, streetwear people uh, to open up their own restaurants the same way that like rappers and, 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 and famous people do like, or is this just a pure celebration of the fact that people within our industry and people of all walks of life just enjoy good food? It's a celebration, I think. You think so? Yeah, Yeah, especially for LA. I think it pays like homage to the best of the best from two different worlds. And you know, Bobby, he loves to bridge cultures and communities. So it's really cool because um, I remember for ComplexCon, they had like a whole row of like food trucks and those were like the popular ones of food trucks. But to see like actual restaurants for this one with Bobby is really cool because you're probably going to see like one of one like curations, like special menus just for this day. So it's probably going to be like a super cool, like very rare type of event that like foodies of like all across the world doesn't want to miss, you know, because everything's popular culture now, especially within streetwear. Like I almost think that streetwear far surpasses what popular food foodies are into you know what i mean in terms of popularity um if anything they're sort of neck and neck in terms of what's the first thing you do when you go to la you're either going to kith or you're gonna go to your favorite food spot to be honest there's not much else to do in la other than like a disneyland yeah but those are the two (laughs) things that you almost like have to decide between breakfast or shopping Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and bobby hundreds has always sort of partnered the two you know he used to have these um I'm not sure if it was his book club that he used to host at food spots, but I think it was more so just an open invitation to certain people to visit this restaurant and bond over food. Um, I would say bonding over food is second to bonding over alcohol for me. Yeah. I think with alcohol, it's unpredictable. It's also fun (laughs) in my personal opinion but food food for me it brings out the uh not narcissistic side of people but it brings out the uh the the review type of people what is that called the uh the yelp side of people you know what i mean like Like people critique side yeah the, the the critic within people i don't know why the fuck that took me so long to find that word but it brings out that 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 side of people where you know, you could be a normal person and and never have too much to say or never have anything bad to say or just kind of be in the middle. But when you go to a food place, a good food place, it requires you to be opinionated. Yeah. Because if someone says, what do you think of the food? Oftentimes you have to be real with a response. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't just be like. It's cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, OK, what about it makes it cool? In some way, shape, or form, food does this thing to pe- does this thing to people. It it, it exposes who they really are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In a, in a, in a very weird way. But you you have to be honest when it comes to the type of food that you like. Um, and some of my favorite conversations that I've had with people usually come from eating food, whether it's something that I cook, which oftentimes is usually like a five star rating. But whatever. Yeah, I know it's still hard to cook. <laughs> in my personal opinion, but um, but yeah, a lot of those, a lot of my favorite conversations come at what I mean. I'll just quote unquote call it the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but literally anywhere you go to eat food because uh, it really br- everyone has taste buds. Not everyone has a sense of style or you know taste, <laughs> but everyone has taste buds. Uh, so it's easy to to find a commonality within that and. 
what do you think about um, this family style festival that the hundreds is, is thrown? What do you think? What do you think? Um, what do you think of it in general? I like it. It's a good idea. Um, the title itself is very clever family style. Yeah. When I think of that, it just makes me think, OK, like it's going to be like a very intimate type of event setting. Hopefully, I don't know, just because like what you said, people bond over food. Um, whenever I go like to get food, I do tend to talk to like the servers or the waiters or just whoever's exactly. around more so than going into a store and talking to someone. Like it's easier to talk to someone and be like, oh, like what's your favorite item here compared to like, oh, like what did you buy recently? Like I said, everyone has a, a, a sense of taste, but not everyone has a, a sense of fashion or actual taste. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So you can you can go in there, ask a male, a female whatever else is on the list and ask them what do you think of this food and you will always get something back mm-hmm. you ask somebody how does this look on me what's the sizing like it could be a shot in the dark and you might get nothing right and yeah i think with with this family style festival which family style it does bring on a nostalgic feel of 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 what a lot of you know your favorite food places um sort of curate in terms of how they serve family style also reminds me of wastefulness (laughs) (laughs) because oftentimes you can, you can go out to a restaurant and get the family style the like the big order or whatever, whatever. And most of the time it just goes to waste because nobody finishes it all. And it's always too much food. I would personally go to McDonald's when this was when, um, Super size or whatever was a thing. Oh, super size me. Yeah, <laughs> when when that was an actual thing after la- extra large or large, and I would get that and be like, I just wasted all this food. <laughs> so family style also has a negative connotation <laughs> in my head too. Um, but I'm excited for the collaborations. Mm-hmm. I'm always curious to see how streetwear uh, mingles with with food in terms of collaborations. Um, we've talked about him uh, fairly a lot recently, but Joe Fresh Goods, based out of Chicago, he recently revealed a collaboration with Snapple, and that was really cool. But you see, like uh, on on this list, you see like a Verdi with John and Vinny's. We talked about John and Vinny's earlier. That's a popular Italian restaurant. Mm-hmm. Verdi is from Japan. Mm-hmm. How do you think that even? What where where is the aesthetic? Like what where is the the collaboration, like, how do you expect that to turn out? You could enjoy, he could enjoy the food. He could, he's Japanese. You can enjoy Italian food. Yeah. But where does the where does the 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 cue the design cues come from? Like, how do, how are a lot of these designers going to intermingle with the food? Like, where do you think they're going to pull that inspiration from? Just how it tastes. They might pull it from how the like the atmosphere of the restaurant is. Mm. Um, I don't know, actually. Like, that's a good question. I never thought about that. But there's a lot of ways to get inspired by um, a certain brand or a restaurant or something. You, designers are designers for a reason. They have that that spark in the brain yeah, to help yeah, them yeah, think yeah. critically about that stuff. But um, hopefully what I'm thinking is with these collabs, it would help get more business to both brands or like more awareness, you know, because probably like the the fan base for John and Vinny's is different than A Girls Don't Cry. So to see that collab, it's just like two polar opposites coming together to make like some like amazing ass like shirt or what something. What often sucks about food, whether it's a, a congregation of food trucks or popular food restaurants, or even some sort of displaying of festival type food, like family style, I always feel bad for about 75% of the food booths. Why? 
because it is oftentimes based solely off of popularity. Mm, you yeah. see the big line, you're intrigued, right? You see the short line, you're like, there's something off about that. Why isn't there anybody even waiting for an order? Um, that mentality of, you know, going with going with the pack, following the crowd, oftentimes or more often plays a role into a lot of these food style festivals. And I'm just curious to see what a, a follow up would look like. You know what I mean? Are mm-hmm. some of these going to fall back because this isn't the right setting for them? Like I get it. The, there's an honor in being a part of the first inaugural food festival thrown by the hundreds and being within this streetwear culture. But you got to understand that a majority of the people that are going to attend this, the people that are there for the the Verdi, the hundreds, Bobby, Ben, um, the, the cares, like all those brands, they got Sean Weatherspoon on here. Mm-hmm. The people that love those guys and what are the, the, uh, the marquee players within this, they want exclusive merch. They want whatever they, they don't give a shit two shits about this oddly weird acai bowl place, <laughs> right? I, I see this one called Amaze Bowls. That's what I'm assuming. They want the John and Vinny's. They want the Uncle Paulie's. They want the shit they already know about mm-hmm. that are selling the cool stuff. And they don't have to think twice. They want autographs. They want pictures. They want exclusive merch. They don't care about food. And that's the thing that is... I'm curious to see how this plays out because of the mentality with a lot of people, especially in Los Angeles. Bay Area, it's, it's cool. But Los Angeles, it's a little different because of how programmed the the millennials in in that sort of streetwear culture are mm-hmm, yeah. to not give two shits about a backstory to not give two shits about um shit like you could you don't even have to be in in the supreme sort of buy the supreme like if they did it in a fucking random garage or in the parking lot in the back alley <laughs> but they sold you the same clothes they would not even care and that's the thing that i think may play a, a huge role into how this food festival will will play out because of the mentality with a lot of people there. It's buy, sell, trade. There's no digesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I put that in the food sense and it within the, the, the merchandise sense as well. Um, that may play a big role into it, in my honest opinion. But yeah, so we'll see how it goes, Bobby. I'm rooting for you, Bobby, if you want to send us, you know, some tickets, you know. Uh, ben, I know you hear us too. We don't forget about you. Uh, let us know. We'll come by. We'll try some. Try some food. I'm down. Yeah, uh, let's almost, do it. <laughs> I forgot that carrots was an actual streetwear brand and not just uh, a booth of carrots. <laughs> so that makes a huge difference, also. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. There's a lot of big names on here. So if you're based out of Los Angeles, um, we haven't gotten too many Los Angeles listeners that have reached out to us lately. Maybe like one or two. Um, maybe like one or two. Yeah. So if you're in that area, please go out there. Let us know how it is. Send us a DM. Tell us we're full of shit because it was actually really cool and really fun. And uh, yeah, that, that would be really awesome. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the next one. And this one is something that sort of surprised me. I think I was walking down the street one day and um, I think my girlfriend brought it up, actually. Uh, she does this really cool thing as of lately where um, she'll, whether she's on Instagram or something, um, she'll just like see like these like kind of headline topics or something closely related to something that me and her have talked about, whether it's like, oh, I talk about Virgil a lot. So um, she goes, hey, Off-White just got bought? 
And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> All white just got purchased? And she's like, yeah, look at this. Like, they got purchased for like, I think it was like 600 million. And I was like, wait, that makes zero sense. Like, first of all, why would Virgil ever sell it for that much? And second of all, I feel like he could get more. <laughs> That's already a lot of money. 600 million? That's a lot of money. Nowadays? That's not a lot to you? That's a lot? No, it's not. And le- before I get into the gist of the story, since I'm going to have this debate now, oh, is that 600 million is not a lot. Considering what your brand is worth in the sense of like culturally nowadays. Like, I feel like that has a lot more impact in terms of selling stuff across the board more than the actual look of the product, right? Like okay. the cultural impact and what that means to people and how they internalize it and, and the audience as well, depending on what your audience base is, if they're the type that has uh, an, an insert search, I'm not even going to go that far to say the word, um, an insatiable amount of, of funds to spend, then fuck, that's worth more than anything else or what, what the shirt's even reselling for. Um, but I guess in this case, it's not actually the off-white that was bought out. It was its parent company. The parent company is called New Guards Group. So uh, we talk about this a lot when we speak of the LVMH, mm-hmm. uh, the Louis Vuitton, the Moet, the the Hennessy. Um, another one would be, uh, what's the other one? This is the one that manages like, oh, it's a caring the yeah. caring group they manage uh gucci saint laurent balenciaga that's a pretty big uh pretty big lineup also but uh farfetch if those of you that don't know farfetch farfetch is a name that we also f- briefly me- mentioned in earlier episodes they had purchased uh stadium goods also or uh, mm-hmm. a sh- uh, majority share in stadium goods um, and they are now the newest owners of the new guards group and i wouldn't say fully in terms of owning all of it and controlling it, but I would say like very, very, very tight knit partners um, along with uh, the New Guards Group. The New Guards Group doesn't just own Off White, they own Heron Preston, which makes sense to fall off uh, within the same uh, group of, of people within in this brand. Uh, Off White and Palm Angels, for those of you that don't know Palm Angels, they did this like really cool collaboration with Under Armour, um, famously worn by like the likes of the ASAP Mob. I'm glad that ASAP Rocky is free <laughs> um, and and the likes of all your favorite rappers. But the point of this is that Farfetch, the way that we talk about a lot of retail acquisitions within um, the world of streetwear. I mean, we've seen obviously Supreme. We've seen uh, the Carlisle Group and, and, and we've seen Stadium Goods and I feel like a shit ton of others that we've mentioned. This is important because Farfetch is a online destination for essentially buying clothes. We remember the days of Karma Loop. Everybody that <laughs> knows early streetwear remembers the days of Karma Loop. That is a very pivotal time in a young streetwear aficionado's life. Um, this was a place that didn't require any knowledge (laughs) of how to buy, how to sell, how to trade information about releases, about drops. This is where you just go and you just 
click page, click next page, next page, next page. And you just discover brands. You discover sizing. You discover um, free shipping. That was a, an amazing part <laughs> about that place. But you just, that's where you sort of, it's a kid in a candy store type mentality mm-hmm. uh, as Car- Carmeloop. And that, that's what Farfetch is essentially. It's a direct to consumer platform pretty much that's online where you can go and buy the hottest brands and the hottest styles. Now, when you're far-fetched and you own that of a stadium goods, and let's just do the math here, and it's going to be a very obvious answer, Melanie, so I want you to answer it, and I hope you answer it correctly. What? I'm a far-fetched, right? I purchase a majority stock in stadium goods. Stadium goods is a, a, a shop based out of New York that is like a sneaker consignment shop. I purchase the likes of the new guards group. That's an off white. That's a hair and press. that's a palm angels. What am I trying to do as far fetch? What am I, what is my overall goal in partner in owning a majority share in these companies? What am I trying to do? Trying to control the market. You said it, that's it, right? Like that is in essence, what far fetch is trying to do. This is karma loop 2.0. Karma Loop 2.0, basically Karma Loop owned, I wouldn't say owned shares in a lot of the brands that they had on their website, but they literally had used their website as the main hub for a lot of these brands. And mm-hmm. nobody, I don't remember ever going to like a mightyhealthy.com to buy their clothes. I would go on Karma Loop to find it. 10 Deep Crooks and Castles was always bought on Karma Loop. You know why? Because they offered things that were beneficial within a direct-to-consumer market, which was expedited shipping. <laughs> they offered a great customer service. I mean, up until like the tail end of it before it became a, a fucking madhouse. Yeah. Um, but they offered those pieces that were important to the customer, especially as it broke into the new age of, of online retailing. So how is this any different? And what do you think Farfetch can sort of avoid in terms of not becoming another karma loop? If this, okay, let's say we're, we're all speaking in hypotheticals here because we don't know that this is their goal, but I'm going to assume that as their platform and being, like you said, an online retailer of all the best brands, how do you think this in any way differs from what Carmeloop used to do or what Carmeloop did? I think now it's different just because their resources, there's more resources. Mm-hmm. They know what not to do. <laughs> That's true. And just the whole culture of streetwear is just so different compared to how it was before like there's just so many things like even though this is streetwear it is more high-end you know hair and precedent off-white they're more of the expensive brands palm angels is still like a little bit more attainable and stadium goods is just like mostly shoes so they kind of have like a little bit of everything in the streetwear world so hopefully they're gonna try and like give us the best of the best maybe even collab with them because they have the control to do so yeah and make like those like special one of ones this is what's crazy about that though because in in i don't think we we fully covered this or i spoke about it at all but we saw you saw barney's go down oh yeah right like barney's goes bankrupt Mm -hmm. right these are stores like a nordstrom that we talked about with the union collab these are stores that their business model revolves around department style selling. Mm-hmm. You want a space in our, our our store. You want a space in our store. Let's bring all the best brands into our store. Let's make it a one-stop shop for P 
people that are fashion minded. Now, a place like Farfetch, which personally I've never shopped at, but I've shopped at stores very similar into what I'm expecting them to be doing. Net A Porter, Essence, Mr. Porter. Um, what's another one? Sense. Yeah, that's the one. Essence. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> um, there's some other high end ones, but that that that's besides the point. These places already do that. They mm-hmm. sell the the big name brands. Um, they sell you know perfume, sh- sneakers, accessories, bags. Um, Mr. Porter is one of my favorites because as a menswear site, they sell literally everything you would ever want as a guy grooming, um, even the shit that's usually sold out in the, in, in the, the luxury stores, like the Gucci belts, you could find them in the, in the men's simple colorways on Mr. Porter. Like it's, and they provide shit in like this really amazing packaging and they write you letters (laughs) and like, it's such it's like it's literally like walking into what men's warehouse used to be like you would feel like you'd get the best customer service like this is what Mr. Porter is but there's something about these websites that 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 Farfetch it it, it they don't fit in any position there because it already exists mm-hmm. you know like I, I get as being a larger uh, business and just taking in everybody they can possibly manage and just buying out everyone. Maybe what they're doing then is essentially making it the destination for particular brands, Um, which doesn't make sense to me because what's the first thing you look for when you go on a particular brand site? What do you mean? Like what's the first what's the first thing that you go to look for when you go on a brand site? So you go to undefeated.com, so you go to kit.com. What is usually the first place that you go look into when you go to those sites? The apparel? I'm going to say the sales section. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you want to see okay, there's I have this thing in mind for what I want to buy, but let me see what else there is right mm-hmm. let me see what's cheaper let me see what's more cost efficient let me see what is like a better deal you know what i mean if farfetch can offer that in terms of we have so much off white don't go to the other retailers come to us we'll sell it to you for 30 percent off 40 percent off you want off white first off white piece 60 dollars for a t-shirt people would flock to that site yeah that would be the quote unquote destination for off white. And that's the part that confuses me is because I don't know. I don't essentially know what their business model is going to be, but I know what their business model is now. And it's being the destination for a lot of these, these, these popular, um, these popular brands. But what do you think in terms of how far fetch has positioned themselves within the market? Do you think this will essentially, shift up how other companies and brands are doing things? Or do you think that essentially this acquisition of these brands will essentially just kind of like, it won't, it'll just be kind of like a a pebble in a lake. It won't make that much of an impact in my opinion, just because they've already acquired stadium goods and we've seen like LVMH take over Supreme. So we've seen this happen, but we haven't really seen like big changes happening after those acquisitions have you know, been acquired, whatever. So I don't know what they want with it. It was very, it's very random in my opinion. Like why off white? Why now? Yeah, I guess. Um, 
I yeah, I, just, I don't know like what's going on, and I also wonder like because they're taking over, does that mean they're gonna also like have the help of Virgil? I, like who knows? Maybe you know, maybe that's a, that's a possibility. Would Virgil be interested in in knowing that the Farfetch stock goes down forty percent right when it acquires like Off White? That may play a role into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's there's a reason why people see fast fashion as both. Uh, you know, a positive and a negative. And uh, the stock crashing for Farfetch tells me that it, this may be a negative reaction to what they just did. Now, I don't think Virgil had really any say in being acquired, you know, because they are managed by a parent company. But I would assume that in the same way that Bobby Hundreds talks about his dispute about having his clothes in a mall is that idea of exclusivity mm-hmm. in being about a particular culture, a particular uh, target audience. Now, Farfetch is for everyone. Farfetch isn't a brand that you would wear their house brand, right? Like, I would wear an Essence shirt. I would wear a Mr. Porter shirt. I wouldn't wear a Farfetch shirt. That sounds like a Pokemon. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what do you think this does to the brands that are being brought on? Because Stadium Goods is not a brand. Stadium Goods makes cl- apparel. Shout out to Stadium Goods, but they are not a a typical brand, right? In mm-hmm. in the traditional sense, they're a brand, right? They're a company, et cetera. Yeah. But the shoes that they have in there aren't Stadium Goods shoes. They're a destination as well. They're a destination as well. So it's a, it's like um it's like a a property manager selling uh the 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 plot of land to somebody else, right? We're experiencing that in San Francisco. Same idea. But what does that do for someone like Virgil? who's worked so hard to build this brand up, who has dedicated essentially this brand to the, the types of people that he, I'd say still is, right? The, the youth. Um, what does that do for him? And I don't know. Um, I know like because there's going to be just so much more opportunity to buy Off-White, it's going to water down the brand for sure. Um, same with Hair and Preston, same with Palm Angels. Like it might just it might not like not taint their brand, but like it might water it down. Whereas people might not want to buy it as much as they are now, because if you're buying it to resell, that price is going to go down for sure because exclusivity is gone. If you're going to make this a destination, that means more product will be available to the masses and you have to put out more things like more often than usual. Yeah, that, well, that's true, right? It's the, uh, this GQ article uses a good phrase. It's called see now, buy now, mm-hmm. right? It's literally, we talk about that split second reaction when it comes to buying something within an instant and anything longer than that could deter us completely from making that purchase. And it's so funny how GQ, and I suggest you guys go read this article because it's the only one that's really popping up. We look this shit up, <laughs> but they literally made the correlation between that of Netflix and, um, and Farfetch. Obviously, Netflix within the the industry of of um, essentially TV movie programming, essentially like that, um, and far fetched within clothing and apparel. But it's similar, right? They reach out to the people that are doing amazing things, and now you can't put this anywhere else. You can only keep this here, and that's the the business model that has made a lot of these places destinations for exclusive product. Mm-hmm. Um, in my honest opinion, I don't know. 
how I feel about this. Uh, Farfetch is one of those brands that I just, I feel like it is. It's sort of culture vultury, consuming what's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not doing anything for, I mean, I'm just making the assumption that they're not going to be doing anything for the community in regards to some of the brands that they take over. Say they take over a brand like Bricks and Woods, which is like a brand that is strictly and, you know, almost solely based around Compton, California, and and they do everything for that culture in that area. They get bought out by, you know, a far fetch and they're exclusively sold there. None of their proceeds go back. And like, you know, that whole you could go down a whole rabbit hole on on what this company could actually produce for these communities. And mm-hmm. that's where streetwear is originated from, right? This is for the community, by the yeah. community. And um, I'm curious to see how, and this goes for all investors, all acquisitions within this industry, is how does that benefit us? And I speak of us in third person, <laughs> but how does that benefit us? How does that help us? Um, so we'll see. Maybe Farfetch turns into the new like educating platform and they like have so much money that they just start diverting into other ways of like presenting streetwear. You know what I mean? The same mm-hmm. way, um, you know, like like a hype beast has gone on to like, you know, do talks and things of that nature. Maybe Farfetch does that. I don't know. It sounds like a very technologically advanced industry and company. So I'm sure that they could produce things that will supplement you know, buying out all these streetwear brands and hopefully produce something good for the culture. Um, but in my honest opinion, we just got to have to wait to find out. Yeah. And it's kind of how a lot of this is, especially within this world. We've seen Supreme. They haven't, I mean, ever since they got bought out, I wouldn't say this San Francisco location that they're going to be opening up this fall, which I'm so fucking excited about. Um, I don't think that had to do anything with being uh, controlled by the Carlisle group. Yeah. You know, they, they that was probably planned way far in advance. But that's kind of where I'm at with that. And uh, that's a stamp on that. Thank you guys for listening. I know that was kind of abrupt, but to be honest, like this, all of this far-fetched shit really came to a surprise to me also. Like $675 million. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But not a lot of money for three brands. That's not a lot of money for three brands. I would assume six hundred seventy-five mm-hmm. million dollars for off-white, maybe. But for three brands, that's that's not enough. <laughs> well, I don't know how much Palm Angels is pulling in, so maybe that number is slightly small. But for the most part, I think that seeing the invest investment, the acquisition, the um seeing the big business, seeing uh, tech industries invest in streetwear. It's a, it's a double-sided coin for me. You know what I mean? I feel, I feel like those are always very tricky situations and kind of seeing like, what does that actually do for the community? As I just said earlier, uh, just because we've seen, you know, the streetwear shops, streetwear flagships in San Francisco come and go and go and go and go um so it is a a to be continued how about that we'll we'll add a to be continued on this and we'll do an episode later on down the line about um basically our 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 update on these companies that have been acquired these are companies that have had real money put behind them and we'll see if that's you know done any good we'll 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 have a another financial episode how about that i think that's kind of cool um and on that note 
before we go, please, guys, please, please, please go follow at No Chance Radio on all of our social platforms. That's Instagram. That's YouTube. That's SoundCloud. That's Twitter. Um, we don't. Well, I'd say we do post a lot, but there's a lot of cool stuff. Stay up to date with what we're doing, man. Stay up to date with what Mel's doing. Go follow Mel mm-hmm. at what is it again? What's up, Mel? At what's up, Mel? Um, that's the same on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Um, don't follow me. Go follow the podcast. Please go follow the podcast. <laughs> Shout out to those that have been sending us messages as of recently. We love you guys. We love the support. Please keep talking to us. We love the conversation. We damn near talk for a living. So we really appreciate if you guys would talk to us. <laughs> yeah. And ask us more questions. We want to answer more questions. Yeah. Not just Mel. Ask me too. I know stuff. Ask the podcast, please. Yeah. Not me. Ask the, <laughs> ask the podcast. You guys are going to uh, lose your privileges of DMing Melanie and you're going to miss your chances. So you might as well just start DMing the podcast. Please. Um, yes, please. <laughs> um, and on that note, one more thing. Asterisk. We will be uh, releasing a very special merch within the next week or so. And if you got to the very end of this episode, then you now know that little fact that I will not be posting about on Instagram until they are released. Um, So shout out to you for knowing things. And on that note, that is episode 97 of the No Chance Radio Show. We'll catch you next week. Peace. Peace.